CNN says ciao bella to Chris Cuomo. Joe Biden gets kicked in the teeth again over another of his vax mandates, and abortion is under the microscope in front of the Supreme Court. This is Gene, and you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Hey, hey, this is Gene. Welcome back to Dumbasses Talking Politics. It's going to be a big day today. Big, big day. So let's get to it with the news. All right, Chris Cuomo is out at CNN. Yay! Uh, it was discovered that uh, Chris Cuomo had used his media contacts to get information on his the New York on his brother, the New York former New York governor Andrew Cuomo, about his sexual harassment victims. CNN couldn't ignore this any longer. He had this was beyond unethical, and they finally suspended him indefinitely. Now. This is going to be a big problem for CNN. All right. Chris Cuomo was the show's, was CNN's highest rated show. Now that isn't saying much. Fox News has a show on at 5 a.m. that was rated higher than Chris Cuomo's show. But it was the highest rated CNN show. Heck, there are, CNN is in such bad shape. And we're going to get to that in a second. But CNN is such bad shape. There are two HLN shows that are beating CNN's top-rated shows. Don Lemon's show is so in the tank that Chris Cuomo would spend 15 minutes on his show joking around with Don Lemon just so that viewers wouldn't turn off the Don Lemon show and change the channel. So what is CNN going to do? That's going to be the big question. Now, a couple of things that really get me about this whole thing is that um, I want you to remember one name from CNN. And I don't watch CNN. I, I do listen sometimes because I, I believe in, in listening to the bad people too as, as much as the good people. I like MSNBC a little bit better because they actually are so off the rails. They're really fun to listen to. But I want you to remember one thing when you think of suspended indefinitely Jeffrey Tubin. yes that's the guy who was caught jerking off on a CNN CNN meeting zoom meeting involving the 2020 elections he too was indefinitely suspended now he was suspended for a little bit he was suspended for about a month and then he's back on CNN albeit I think at distances from other panelists that he's involved with but he is on cnn he's back on cnn so call me cynical about this but i see this as kind of a publicity stunt i think this is being done because they want to take their leading commentator off air and then maybe a month or two later they'll it'll be a big surprise when he's brought back on air and his show has been given and he and uh, uh, Don Lemon can start jerking each other off again and, and blah, blah, blah. And they'll celebrate the return of Chris Cuomo. Uh, here's the thing. Chris Cuomo should have been fired. What he did was unethical. Now, I understand the arguments. Well, it was his brother, you know. And yes, it was his brother. But then he needs to make that very clear to people that I need to defend my brother. I need to help my brother. Not lie about it. And actually tell his viewers he should have been fired. 
Now, granted, Andrew Cuomo should have been kicked out of the governorship, not because of the fact that he grabbed ass a couple of times. What he should have been kicked out of the governorship for was the 15,000 people he killed by sending them back into old folks' home during the COVID epidemic. That's what he should a pandemic. That's what he should have been kicked out of. Chris Cuomo was going to save him on that one. But, okay, you got rid of Chris Cuomo. That's fine. But here's the thing. That's not a surprise. What is a surprise is that CNN has not fired their entire network team. Everyone. Anderson Cooper, Don Lemon, the blonde, the good-looking blonde chick in the beginning of the, sh- the, the day. I mean, fire them all because CNN is so in the doldrums. They are less than a third of, they make about a third of what Fox News makes. And even MSNBC, which isn't doing much better outside of the Rachel Maddow show, the Rachel Maddow show is in the top 10 at least. But outside of that, MSNBC, they're down in, in the 20s. They're no, they're no better. They should have canned absolutely everybody. This, that station really needs to fix themselves. They won't though, because they're a leftist station. They are state-run media. So they're going to keep doing what they're doing. All right. Oh, here's some fun stuff. Here's another loss for uh, Joe Biden. A federal judge in Louisiana blocked Joe Biden's vaccine mandate for healthcare workers. Fantastic. Now, understand something. I used to work in the healthcare field. Josie, my fiance, she currently works in the healthcare field. We're both vaccinated, so it wasn't really a thing at the time. Now, I don't want to get the I, I don't want to get the booster. Not yet. I think I talked about that yesterday. Uh, Josie doesn't want to get the booster. She doesn't look like she's going to have a choice or she'll lose her job. But now they can't force. The Biden administration can't force it. This is, and by the way, you know, why should they force it? All these healthcare workers, they were considered heroes last year when there wasn't a vaccine. Now that maybe. 30-40% don't want to take the vaccine. Now they're they're villains and they should all lose their jobs. What was that? Remember they had the nurses dancing on Twitter and crap about how heroic they were with their stupid little masks and their stupid little costumes looking ridiculous, making fun of the pandemic almost. Now you're going to post and the other question is why can't they force the teachers to get vaccinated? They haven't done that yet. But the healthcare workers, oh, got to force them. Just incredible. So Louisiana Western District U.S. Judge Terry Dowdy wrote, quote, if the separation of powers meant anything to the Constitution framers, constitutional framers, it meant that three necessary ingredients to deprive a person of liberty and property, the power to make rules, to enforce them, and to judge their violations could never fall into the same hands. If the executive branch is allowed to usurp the power of the legislative branch to make laws, two of the three powers conferred by our Constitution would be in the same hands. If human nature and history teach anything, it is that civil liberties face grave risks when governments proclaim indefinite states of an emergency. Yes! Yes, he's absolutely correct. This is why the Biden administration also thought these mandates would be considered unconstitutional. They just did them anyway. This is exactly why we have a House, a Senate, and a President, and a Supreme Court. So that one person doesn't make all the rules. That one person 
whether on purpose or not, becomes a tyrant. This, it, that one per we don't want one person controlling anything. That's why we have three, we have three institutions in the U.S. government. And this judge is basically saying, hey, listen, one guy can't make this a permanent emergency. Oh, but he gets better. Listen to this. During the pandemic, such as this one, it is even more important to safeguard the separation of power set forth in our Constitution to avoid erosion of our liberties. Because the plaintiff states have satisfied all four elements required for preliminary injunction to issue, this court has determined that the preliminary injunction should issue against government defendants. This matter will ultimately be decided by a higher court, the Supreme Court, uh, than this one. However, it is important to preserve the status quo in this case. The liberty interests of the unvaccinated require nothing less. This is why the left are making the unvaccinated evil, by the way. And this judge hits it. Because the left cannot win through Congress. They can't win through the House. They can't win through the Senate. They can't. The president can't just do what he wants and the Supreme Court is not going to go for any of this stuff. Nobody buys the left's crap about the unvaccinated. They only have one fight that they could win, and that fight is through the court of public opinion. And guess what? They're losing there, too. Listen, I love the vaccine. I, I took I, both shots. I was glad to have them. I will, not, I will probably not take the booster next month because I had a rather uncomfortable reaction, and I do want to see more I'm not saying I won't take it, but there are a couple, few reasons why I'm not interested in getting the booster. First off, there have been no studies on B or T cell immunity of the vaccines. B cell and T cell immunity, are they're also known as memory cells. So if you take a vaccine or if you catch COVID, B cells and T cells actually hold the blueprints for the cure. There, It's very difficult to research that stuff. But there's no research being done on that. For all I know, I got my vaccines, and even though it's waning, the vaccine, the, the cure to, to protect me from dying could be in my B cells or T cell, in my memory cells. So until I hear a little bit more about that, I'm not sure I want the booster anymore. I definitely don't want the booster every six months, and that's what they're talking about. They're talking about getting boosters every six to nine months. If they tell me, if they tell me in two months, if Pfizer sits back and says, "Well, you get one more booster and it's over," I'll be, I'll probably be good to go with that. I also am moderately young and I'm healthy. I would rather catch the damn thing, suffer for a couple days, and then have natural immunity, than keep taking these vaccines, get older and more compromised, and then catch it. Because this is the one thing with the vaccines. They don't necessarily work. They, I mean, the vaccine for me right now is probably around 40%. If someone walks in front of me with, with COVID and breathes on me, I can probably get it. And that leads to my fourth reason I don't want to get the booster. I think I've already had it. People have, with, with COVID, walked up to me, shook my hand, and said hi, and given hugs, and kisses, and the whole thing. I never caught it. And I thought a few times, I probably already had this thing. 
And I believe I probably had it. This is why we need more of the antibody testing instead of the no, those stupid nose swabs. I don't want to just know if I have it or not. I want to know if I, I'm actually immune to it. And then I don't need a card. I don't need vaccines. I can move on with my life because I've got a more I've got more of a, an immunity to the infection than just about anybody. And we still haven't figured out how many people are catching COVID even though they've already had COVID. There's no research on this. You've got a question right off the bat. Why there's no research in any of that stuff? Why in two years somebody hasn't said, yeah, we've done studies? Now, there have only been two studies on masks. For example, they keep telling us how we need to wear masks all the time. And there, there have only been two studies with masks, one in Sweden and one in Vietnam. And both said the same thing. Yeah, it doesn't work. They both said the same thing. Why hasn't the United States done a study on masks? They're the ones that are pushing it on us. Because it's about control. It's about control. Finally, um, he says, he starts talking about the scope of the injunction, um, Dowdy, and he says, quote, therefore, the scope of the injunction will be nationwide except for the states of Alaska, Arkansas, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, New Hampshire, Nebraska, Wyoming, North Dakota, South Dakota, since these 10 states are already under a preliminary injunction order dated November 29, 2021, out of the Eastern District of Missouri. This preliminary injunction shall remain in effect pending the resolution of this case or until further orders from this court, the United States Courts of Appeal for the Fifth Circuit or the United States Supreme Court. So far, Biden has been completely skunked on his vaccine mandates. His mandate for private industry, which was going to be pushed by OSHA, has been blocked. OSHA has decided to go, un, uh, contrary to what Biden wanted OSHA to do, OSHA has decided to suspend the mandate pending the court's decisions. His mandate for the healthcare industry is now gone. The military has been fighting against the vaccine mandates. I believe the Navy and the Marines have actually said, no, we're not doing this. If these guys want to get stuck, they can. And by the way, 90% of the military is already vaccinated, so they are getting the vaccine. And the unions refuse to take the vaccines. And if you look at New York, places that actually force you to show vax cards in New York, guess what? They're not doing it there either. People are ignoring it. They're protesting now. But that's not going to deter Joe Biden. He's decided, well, hell, I'll go a different direction. So on Thursday, tomorrow, he's going to announce new restrictions for entering and leaving the United States including for American citizens. Listen to what he's planning to implement. A person, person entering the country, whether American citizen or not, must have a negative test one day before entering the country. If positive, no entry. That includes American citizens. A person must quarantine seven days after entering the country, whether American citizen or not, even with a negative test. Which means, I come back, I thank God I came back from Mexico last week and not coming back next week. Which means, if I want to come back, I have to sit in quarantine for seven days even though I have a negative test? Anyone violating the order is subject to fines. Again, I don't think any of this is constitutional because guess what? He's making this an executive order and all, all it takes is one person to sue. 
And the reality is this is probably going to get kicked out. Hey, you want this kind of stuff? You got to go through Congress. You got to go through the House of Representatives. You got to go through the Senate. You got to you got to debate this stuff. And then it's got to get to the president of the United States. And it wouldn't get there. It, it wouldn't get there. Joe Biden is beginning to make the United States sound like Australia. We're getting to that point. All right. In our last story today, it's not really a story. It's We're going to review an opinion that, uh, from the Washington Post. I, I actually like this one. So today, which is Wednesday, the Supreme Court is listening to arguments on Mississippi's controversial anti-abortion law which basically bans all abortions past 15 weeks. Now, Mississippi, Missouri, Georgia, Texas, they're all very anti-abortion states. So this isn't a shock that they brought it. And this was a law that was created last year. This decision could really erode, damage, or even overturn Roe versus Wade when making abortion an issue and start making abortion not a federal issue, but an issue of the state. Of course, because the left treats abortion as a religious ritual, the news media has been throwing their full attention on the arguments today. And so far, listening to the arguments, it sounds like Missouri's abortion is gonna st- rule is going to stand. That's what it sounded like. And it could actually be a 5-4 or a 6-3 margin which would be absolutely outstanding. Now, when I read this article, I will go through some of some of the things uh, where I stand. I've actually done a previous part podcast about how abortion is immoral, uh, unscientific, should be illegal, is genocide, is murder, how Roe versus Wade and the other one I can't remember the name are garbage arguments, but I'll bring some of that up here. Here is an opinion piece uh, from the Washington Post. It's called, If the Supreme Court Court Throws Out Roe v. Wade, It Will Tear the Country Apart by Eugene Robinson. I found this, of the five opinion pieces I read from the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Wall Street Journal, I thought this one was the most pro-abortion that didn't demonize anti-abortionists. So I I thought this is a good one. I could actually talk to this guy. Uh, But it's still, it's still not a great, it's still not a great argument. So let's, let's start. Let's read this now. Quote from Eugene Robinson. Roe versus Wade is an important piece of duct tape that holds the fractious nation together. And it would be a grievous error for the anti-abortion majority on the Supreme Court to rip it away. But that is precisely what the court, with its 6-3 conservative majority, looks poised to do. Wednesday's oral arguments over Mississippi's law banning abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy will not really be about textualist or originalist legal principles. They will be about whether the Constitution protects a woman's freedom over her own body, a liberty recognized when Roe was, Roe was decided on January 22, 1973. Okay, now, some things about this first two paragraphs. How is Roe versus Wade duct tape? This is something he tries to do. He tries to say that Roe versus Wade is actually unifying the country. No, it's not. It's unifying your party. It's not unifying the country. It's very polarizing. 
One of the things this guy does skip, and I'll get into it later, he skips that 50% of the country doesn't believe in abortion. And I think that's kind of a, a liberal view. And then let's ease off this 6-3 to three conservative court thing. Um, John Roberts has hardly made any conservative de uh, decisions. He is usually siding with the liberal judges. I'd say the court is 5-4, and then it's only a maybe. Neil Gorsuch, who's considered a conservative, had made some pretty iffy decisions. Kavanaugh and Barrett do not seem to like going against precedents. Roe versus Wade is a precedence. So I'm not so sure how conservative this court really is. And then his comment about this is not really about textualist and originalist legal principles. No, he's wrong. He's just flat wrong here. It has everything to do with textualist and originalist principles. The term abortion is not mentioned once in the Constitution. So therefore, the Supreme Court has had to create this precedence through this crap ruling about the 14th Amendment and privacy to make legalized abortion look like it's constitutional. There's nothing in the Constitution, there's not one word of abortion or terminating the pregnancy within the entire Constitution. We originalists, I'm a textualist, I believe you read the Constitution. And if there is nothing in the Constitution that says anything about this, then what you do is you take that law and you kick it down to the states. The states make the decision. See, everyone's worried about Roe versus Wade, but the reality is Roe versus Wade's not going anywhere. If the court does, let's say they go to the extreme and they overturn Roe versus Wade, all that's going to do is say, okay, states, you make the decision. Make the laws. Which means Texas, Missouri, Mississippi, Georgia, Alabama, Arkansas, a bunch of states are going to sit there and say, okay, Abortion's illegal now. And states like California, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, California, you can have Calif you can have uh, abortion up to the moment of, of delivery. It's not going to change anything except abortion is no longer federal. And as far as them saying, I have a constitutional, you do not have a, con that constitutional right is a fictitious manipulation of the Constitution. And that's why, since 1979, these people have been worried about Roe versus Wade being overturned. I mean, that's why the we talked about the ERA, I think, day before yesterday. That's why the ERA was actually made to make abortion legal in the Constitution. That ERA amendment was going to legalize abortion, and it was going to put it in the Constitution. Okay, continuing. I remember that day well because it was also the day when former President Lyndon B. Johnson died. I was one of the editors of the Michigan Daily, the student newspaper at the University of Michigan. We had a passionate argument that went late into the evening over which should be our lead story. Should the legalized abortion across the nation or the man who sent tens of thousands of young Americans to die in the Vietnam War? Most of the female editors saw the historic importance of Roe and understood the impact it would have on the women's lives. Most of the male editors, myself included, I confess, could not see the past Vietnam and push hard for LBJ. We won, sort of. The paper ended up stripping Johnson's death across the top of the front page and putting a Roe decision right beneath it, still above the fold. 
with bold-faced two-line headline. For history's sake, I thought that was the right call. I was spectacularly wrong. Johnson was indeed a towering figure, but he'd been out of office and had to die at some point anyway. Roe was like a bolt from the blue. With it, the nation took a giant stride toward treating women as a full and equal citizens under the law. The decision's impact continues to this day, but perhaps not for many days longer. Now, some things about these couple of paragraphs. He basically, he's already, sexism is already built into his case here. He's saying that, oh, the rights of women have been upheld and even the decision to print the headline, Lyndon B. Johnson dying first and then underneath uh, Roe versus Wade uh, legalizing abortion shows that the men dominated at the time. So it, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a sexism claim. But he is right. And this is probably the only time he's right in the entire article. The Vietnam War was less important than Roe versus Wade. The Vietnam War led to the deaths of 65,000 Americans, so, soldiers. Abortion has killed over 60 million American babies since Roe versus Wade was implemented in 1973. So he's right. Abortion should have been the bigger story. Okay, continuing. There are those who claim that Roe is divisive, that the ruling set the stage for years of bitter conflict by recognizing constitutional right to abortion that cannot be unduly infringed by the states. But I believe that analysis is wrong. What's truly divisive is abortion itself, an issue on which, for many Americans, there simply is no middle ground. Some people believe that all abortion is murder and that every pregnancy should be brought to full term. I do not share this view. But for those who do not, how could there ever be a compromise? What does it matter whether an abortion takes place in the first, second, or third trimester, or whether it takes place before or after the point at which the fetus would be viable outside the womb? What is the difference between taking the Plan B pill and having a, and having a surgical abortion after 15 weeks? If both are murders, how can one be acceptable and one not? Okay, some things. And I'm going to repeat this every time. Abortion is not constitutional. It's not in the Constitution. It has been artificially made as a constitutional right. There are other constitutional rights that the left always forget. That's in the Constitution. The right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Why does a baby not have those rights? And we're going to find out why he thinks they don't have those rights in a second. Okay. The other thing is, um, you can have evil and be upset about evil. Abortion is evil. So was slavery. And slavery was legal too. Had to be overturned in the Constitution. The um, Dred Scott ruling was an example. What started the Jim Crow laws. That's an example of an evil precedence that had to be overturned. Roe versus Wade is an evil, as far as I'm concerned, it is as evil as slavery. And it's time to overturn it. So it's not about the Constitution. And it is up to the states to make this decision. I still believe in states' rights. If Because abortion is not in the Constitution, the federal government can't make abortion illegal either. So the state of California, the one that I live in, it's going to be legalized. It's going to be legal, maybe even expanded. Here's the problem, and I think he does not see abortion 
Eugene Robinson, doesn't see abortion as murder. And this, this is a huge problem for people like me when I'm debating. If you do not see abortion as murder, if you do not see the baby as a living being, we're done. And by the way, I never want to hear from people like that telling me, well, you're denying the science. He's denying science. We knew in 1979, through the use of test tube babies, that babies are separate human beings from the mother. We know, we know, we, we prove it every day through in vitro fertilization. The egg is fertilized, the egg allows itself to divide, and then the egg is put inside the mother. Or the birthing person, whatever you want to call it. DNA testing has proven that the zygote, and that's the youngest child, has has neither has both the DNA of the mother and the father, yet it doesn't match the DNA of either. We've got this proven. Not to mention with sonograms and um, and other techno uh, technology devices, we can actually view how the baby develops at just a few weeks. So we know how a baby grows. And we know that for example, has brain function after about a three weeks before most women know they're even pregnant. So I don't want I don't want to hear anything about abortion and denying of science ever again. When these and these pro-abortionists sit back and tell me, well, it's not a it's just a cluster of cells. That's the most common word you hear. And by the way, taking the abortion pill is killing the baby. We all think that's killing the baby. That's weak sauce. So I don't even know why the hell he would make that argument. That's just a dumb argument. Okay, continuing. Like most Americans, I don't believe abortion is murder. It doesn't matter whether I think a line should be drawn on viability or how I believe the health and well-being of the pregnant person should be factored in. What matters is that my view, whatever its nuances, can never be acceptable to those who take the absolutist position against abortion. Okay, first off here, um, I, I hate the term viability. I do not argue viability. The baby is not viable after it's born. The baby won't be viable for a few years after it's born. Does that mean we can kill it then? I hate the viability argument. I am making the argument that the zygote or the fetus, or the baby, whatever you want to call it, is a separate human being and has the potentiality to become a human being, which means we do not have the rights to kill that human being. Viability is irrelevant. A, a, a kid, a just-formed zygote, does not have a, a lot of viability outside the womb. I still don't think you should be able to kill that child. And here's the thing, pregnant person does, does have options here, not to get pregnant. Here's a newsflash, we know how people get pregnant. There's no mystery in it anymore. This is what the left does, they strip personal responsibility from people, in this case women. If you strip personal responsibility from people, then there are no consequences for bad decisions. Abortion is not seen as a consequence, and getting pregnant is not seen as a bad decision. Because bad decisions are left up to the individual, and we 
The left cannot have individual choice, individual freedom, free will. They don't believe in any of that crap. Okay, continuing. This is why I see Roe as unifying rather than divisive. It makes, yes or, it makes a yes-no decision. It sets a baseline that some of us cannot abide, but that most of us applaud or can live with. Not true. It says that, yes, the Constitution, in its words and in its penumbra, does protect women's fun, fundamental right to terminate her pregnancy. Uh, big, quick question. Unifying for who? Unifying for leftists? Unifying for pro-abortionists? I think abortion is murder. There's no negotiating with me. 50% of the people in the, or I'd say 30% of the people in the country believe that, 30 to 40%, I think it's higher than that, 40% of the people in the country think abortion is flat out murder. And then you've got 10 to 20% that aren't sure it's murder, but they never have one. They think it's wrong. So I don't exactly know where he's talking about it's unifying. We will never believe you in what you're doing. I find it selfish, disgusting, and immoral. Then he contradicts himself in the same sentence. He says, some of us cannot abide. He says, this is why Roe is, uh, I see Roe as unifying rather than divisive. Okay. And then in the next line, he says, it sets a baseline for some of us who cannot abide, but most of us can applaud. Okay. So you're basically saying it's unifying, but it's not. Yeah. It, it, it's separating. Listen, and that's the goal of the left. We don't count. So we should just ignore them. All right, let's keep going. Like, like all constitutionally protected freedoms, it's not constitutionally protected, the right to choose can be restricted but not taken away. That has been the status quo for nearly five decades. This is important. This is an important paragraph. And the nation has muddled through. But if Roe is reversed, if the court rules, as its most conservative justice have argued, that no protected right to reproductive choice exists, then the political cold war over abortion will flare immediately into a roaring blaze. Reproductive choice always exists. You have the choice to use condoms. You have the choice to use birth control pills. You have the choice, here's something crazy, not to have sex. The choice is gone when you get pregnant. The horse is out of the barn at this point. You were not taking responsibility and you got pregnant. Let's finish this off. If states such as... But there's a more important message here, and we're going to get to that in the conclusion. If states such as Texas pass laws that effectively eliminate all abortions, those with the means will travel to other states to terminate their pregnancies. Many more people will risk their health by seeking illegal abortions. Some doctors will most likely risk imprisonment. There will be intense pressure for pro-choice federal legislation, and abortion will be a hot-button issue in every congressional district, as if our pol politics needed more heat. Roe will never please everyone, but it has served the country well. Uh, for him, I fear the Supreme Court is a foolish enough to throw it all away. Okay, so let's conclude this thing. Some things. I like this article because he wasn't vicious. He was just dismissive. He didn't demonize anti-abortionists. He just dismissed them. He said we should just not listen to them. He just thought we are misguided. The problem is if we if I got he got into a debate with an anti-abortionist, that anti-abortionist would destroy his, every one of his arguments in seconds. His arguments are terrible. 
The facts just aren't in, on his side. And do you know how you know they're not on his side? He never presents any. In this entire thing, I think I said as much as he did. But I presented facts. He didn't. Also, this is something he's trying to argue in this article, and he's wrong. That's not what he's arguing. He's saying Roe versus Wade is unifying. But that's not his real argument in this article. His real argument is that abortion has been around for 47 years now, and we should just live with it. That's what he's saying. We should forget about those pesky right-wing, probably white supremacist, anti-abortion people and just live with it. Because if we don't, Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned, they're going to be really pissed off. Well, here's a nose flush. I'm pissed off because it is legal, because 60 million babies have been killed. I really don't give a damn. If they want to sit there and start fires and crap, we can do that too. It's a stupid argument. It's a really bad argument. But... um. Again, I think one of the biggest problems with that article is he doesn't think it's murder. If he doesn't think it's murder, you can't argue with this individual. If you don't think you're killing a human life, which he doesn't exactly say in the article, because legally it's not murder. Legally, right now, abortion is not murder. I think it's murder. But what he does not say in the article is, I believe you are killing another human being. That's what he never says. He just says it's not murder. Well, it's not murder because it's legal. I'm saying it's murder. Are you saying? That's the one question I'd like. Is, are you, it may not be murder legally, but are you killing another human being? And if he said no, if he says no, our debate's over. There's no reason to even read the article because there is nothing he's going to say that's going to convince me of anything because his entire premise is bad. Okay. So that got me excited. Abortion pumps me up. I, I just, I hate it so much. I, I really hate it so much. I think it is the ultimate in evil. And the problem is, Republicans are so freaking bad at debating. I remember they were, there was a Republican a couple years ago that was debating abortion for rape victims. And he made a, he made a couple of, I, I know what he was trying to say, but he said it so pissed poorly. Then I was like, dude, dude, he got into trouble, of course, and everything like that. But it was such a piss poor argument. I'm just like, dude, and you know what? When I get asked, I, I have three different answers when they talk about rape and incest and and um, protection of the mother's health. I, I, I can debate that, too. And if you listen, I'm not going to do it here because I'm running late and it's not actually part of the article. And you can go back to my previous podcast, I think it was in the 300s where we talked about abortion. Uh, and I gave a lot of opinion about it. But right now, lots of protesters, pro, pro-life and pro-abortion protesters are there. Um, the arguments are done. And we'll have to see, and probably not going to get an answer for another few months because they got to write their opinions. So visit my website at dumbassestalkingpolitics.com. Uh, take a look at all of the links. Don't forget about Rumble. I haven't released a video because I just haven't found one that I found interesting. I hope you guys have a great day. Talk to you on Friday. This is Gene, and you've listened to Dumbasses Talking Politics.